If you guys have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, and, we'll, and a lot of that will be projected uh, if you don't, but also we might fly back to the book of Jonah. Really hard book to find. It's usually like two to four pages. Um, look in your, uh, what do you call those things? The front? No, this is good. Thanks, buddy. Index. There you go. Thanks. Uh, while you're turning, real quick, we just have one announcement. Uh, Randy Martz, who's been attending here for about a year, um, here and there, she has two little ones, and she's developed some medical issues. And so Ben Klinkle, the owner of Delmonico's and Tally's, is doing two benefit meals for her. Um, it's going to be November 30th is one, and the other one is December 1st, so back-to-back days. And basically all the money, it's $50 a ticket. You get a three-course gourmet meal. Um, he knows how to cook. And so if you uh, have an opportunity, $50 a ticket, all the money is going to go to benefit Randy uh, and help assist Randy. So November 30th, December 1st, there will be some child care provided. Um, if you want to reserve your seats, call Delmonico's. If you want some child care, uh, get a hold of Evan. <laughs> I don't think he's going to do it all, but he knows, he knows the ins and outs of it. Okay, so Mark 4. Sorry, guys, I have a head cold, so if it's painful to listen to me, I apologize, but uh, we'll get through it. Mark 4, verse 35 through 41. Most of you are probably familiar with this piece of scripture. It's when Jesus calms the sea. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to read it together, and then we're going to see what we can pull out of this here. Verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Then they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? First thing that I love about this piece of scripture is the, the reality of it being an eyewitness account. And if you guys will remember, we've been walking through the book of Mark on main campus and here, and Mark is a very fast-paced book that basically is... Um, a bunch of deeds that Jesus did. It's not so much some of his teaching, but as opposed to the other Gospels, it's just a lot of facts, hard-hitting facts. This, we went did this, we did this, we did this. And what the author's trying to convey to the readers is these are great evidences of the Messiah. And so this is the first thing that we get. And, and Peter is the apostle who was the eyewitness with Jesus. And so he is recalling these stories to Mark, and Mark is the one who's penning these down. So I love the picture of Peter. Uh, a lot of times, one of the proofs of eyewitnesses that they use in the court system is when there's details that don't further the story along, the only reason they're brought up is because they're remembered. And you guys know what this is like. Um, some girls are really good at this, the details of the story, right? It's, I went to Walmart, and I was backing up, and I almost hit a cat, and so there was a, a little boy over here, and I missed him. And What I meant to say is, I saw your sister at Walmart. You know, the cat has nothing to do with it and things like that. But all that's going on there is you just say what you remember, right? And so in this piece of scripture, I love the things like they got into a boat, and there were other boats with them. 
It's like, that has nothing to do with the story. It's just Peter kind of remembering, oh, yeah, and then this is what happened. There's all kinds of boats, one of them. And so I just love the authenticity of this retelling and recounting of, of Scripture to Mark. Things like Jesus was asleep on a cushion. Remember that? We're going to go back to that thing. Uh, but real quick, I want to take a little bit of time because it always does my heart good. Um, do, is the slideshow not working at all? The PowerPoint? Darn. Okay. Braddy, work on that, will you? I'll read you something, and if we get it projected up here, great. If not, that's okay. Uh, I love times where we can create evidences of proofs of Scripture being authentic and the fact that what we hold in our hand today is very, very likely what they wrote down and the original author, Mark, wrote down. Hey, would you go to the, the table on there? Well, that doesn't show up too good, but I'll, I'll tell you what's going on here. Okay, so... This is, we'll fire through this, but a lot of times in ancient writings, what they do is they use, this is the date, so this is Caesar, they use the date that he lived, this is our earliest copy, and this is the money column right here, this is the span in between when he lived in the earliest copy, and this is the number of copies. So basically you take someone like Caesar, and there was a thousand years between when he lived and the earliest copy that we have, that's a long time. And there's only 10 copies. You go to Plato, uh, you see the dates there. 900 uh, AD is the earliest copies of writings of Plato. So there's 1,300 years and we only have seven copies of that. So we cite Plato all the time. There's not a whole, that, that's, a, that's a huge span um, scientifically when you're looking at the authenticity of these things. Aristotle, uh, earliest copy, 1,100 AD, 1,400 years, but we have 49 copies of that. So this is uh, Homer's Iliad. This is the infamous one because it's the oldest, 900 B.C. The earliest copy is 400 B.C., so that's crazy old. So there's 500 years, so we're shrinking the gap. So this has a lot more authenticity, uh, credibility, and there's 643 copies of that. So that blows the other ones out of the water. And then this is the beauty of New Testament books written anywhere from 40 A.D. to 100 A.D., depending on the book. Uh, The earliest copy we have I don't even know if this is 100% up to date, but uh, 125 A.D. So the span between when it was written and the original copies that we have is only 25 years. And we have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament. So if you look through all of that graph, uh, it's scripture, New Testament scripture blows everything out of the water as far as standing against the test of authenticity of ancient writings. So that always does my heart good. And so any chance we get to stumble upon something like that is, uh, is worth it. If you guys will, as we dive into the book, uh, or this chapter right here, uh, let's pray. Father God, I do just thank you as we ponder and meditate and uh, study your word. And it is encouraging to know, uh, but God, not just that archaeology has, has caught up to some things that back our faith, but the reality that uh, you have chosen to manifest yourself, that you have chosen to make yourself uh, known to us, and you have sustained your word, Uh, you sustain each of our very lives tonight. And so I do pray that with those lives we would just present ourselves to you, to be used by you, uh, open ourselves up to be loved by you. And in response to that love, uh, we would trust you, we would see you as you truly are, we would be obedient and love each other. I pray against any evil, God, that you might deliver us from that, that you would be our shield right now. It's in Christ's name. Amen. 
So I believe the first point that Mark is trying to make in this piece of scripture is once again the fact that Jesus, this man, is the Messiah. We've seen him exercise power over uh, unclean spirits. We've seen him exercise power over disease in his healings. And now he exercises power in an awesome way over Mother Nature, where the storm is raging. These are people who have been fishermen since they were born, and they're afraid for their life. This thing was intense. They were afraid they were going to die. And Jesus doesn't have to conjure up anything. He doesn't do some fancy rain dance. All he does is say, be still. And instantly the wind stops, and instantly the water settles as glass. And then the disciples are very afraid, right? So I think the first thing that we grab is this is yet again another evidence that they're telling that this man named Jesus is exercising the power of God over anything and everything that he wants to. Next point is that Jesus allows storms. So if you look at verse 38, the disciples are afraid. And a lot of times the disciples do things and we kind of shake our head and uh, get a little critical of them. This is one of those stories we don't, right? This is one of those stories where we're like, yeah, I think I'd be doing the same thing. If the storm was raging and Jesus was asleep, I'd have some questions too. But I think they came with uh, uh, the wrong premise. Look at verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So basically, the disciples had a wrong starting point. Their thought was something like, if you did care, then you wouldn't allow this storm. If you did care, if you loved us, then you wouldn't allow this pain, this fear, this suffering. And I don't think as a church we need a whole lot more spoken about that after what we've gone through in the last year with Pastor Steve and things like that, that we know that God still can be good and still allows storms in life. Listen to what uh, the book of John says. In this world, you will have trouble. Thankfully, the next part, Jesus says, take courage, I have overcome the world. But there's promises that we are going to have storms. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So first and foremost, I think we can watch someone like Pastor Steve go through that and his family, and we cheer them on and we get all kinds of lessons. But I think we're still the same way when there's certain things that take place in our life, even if they're small, like a Saturday that really stinks. And it's like, God, where are you? Don't you care? I'm trying to go preach and I get a cold and our car battery dies and we have uncharacteristic crying out of our kids. It's like, hey, where are you? Right? And it's really easy to start wondering what God is doing. And so like the disciples, we say, don't you care? But I think it's important for us to recognize and realize God always knows what he's doing. My daughter, Natalie, uh, she likes asking questions. And when we're going somewhere, she said, Dad, you know where you're going? She's kind of wondering if I'm going to get lost or something like that. And every once in a while, I just say, Nat, I know what I'm doing. Or, and, and which is okay. She's not sure what the plan is, but I would say, hey, I know what I'm doing. I just want her to trust me. And there's so many times that we start to develop anxiety, that we see the storms, that we're afraid for our life, we're afraid for our kids, we're afraid for whatever. And I hear just God saying, Nick, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Let's 
one of the things that I've experienced, and I want to show you some different ways that um, I think God gets us through the storm, is even though he allows it, we can be sure that he cares, we can be sure that he knows what he's doing, and he will get us through the storm. Uh, I'm going to read you a couple things. Well, first one, I'll stick to the slides here. Uh, He may calm the physical storm, okay? So that's what he does here, right? They're scared, they're afraid, and he changes their circumstances. He says, be still, and all circumstances change. So there's a lot of times in life where we pray for safety, we pray for healing, we pray for things like that, and God changes the circumstances. And that brings uh, our anxiety level, our fear level down. And God indeed does that. We know he doesn't always do that. Sometimes he allows the storm to take a life. Sometimes he allows a storm to uh, divorces take place. All kinds of sicknesses happen that he continues to allow. And, in, and it's our job to search through and find out, one, what's he up to, but two, there's many, many people, and ourself, myself, ourselves included, that when it kind of goes beyond a certain point, that's when our faith starts to get questioned. And I'm here to tell you that I believe with all my heart that God will pull you through that. And I think he does that again. Either he changes the circumstances to something that you can handle, meaning if my faith is only this much right now, and he knows I don't have enough to push through uh, this big of a storm, he, he, he kind of reduces that storm for me. And he says, until I gift you with more faith or until you mature a little bit more in knowing me, I'll minimize that a little bit. The other thing that I think he does is he changes your faith. He deepens your faith. He deepens your perspective. So if the storm is going to stay up here, if the storm is going to continue to rage, then I think he takes this little bit of faith and he grows it. And he grows it. And he grows it. To the point where nothing changes circumstantially, but now all of a sudden you have a deeper faith, you have a deeper trust, you have a better perspective. Maybe it's an eternal perspective and who he is, and next thing you know, you've weathered the storm. And I think that faith, that, that level of bringing up your faith is a gift from God. Remember when Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, I pray that your faith wouldn't fail. That's a situation where he didn't necessarily change circumstance for Peter. I think he just gifted him and increased his faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We are pressed on all sides, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is what I think is taking place in this scripture in our lives, is when you are pressed down on all sides and you can't see a way out, I think that's when God gifts you in his grace with a better, a different, a change of perspective. And next thing you know, you aren't despairing. Next thing you know, there's hope on the other side. You're proclaiming God will work this to the good. He knows what he's doing. One of my favorite lines, you've heard me say it before, God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Every situation in your life, every situation in my life, I believe, is practice to love is an opportunity to love like Jesus loved. And so as these storms come, and certainly the fear is there, and I think that's okay, but I do believe that God will bring us through this. Isaiah 43, 2 is another one that I love. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, 
They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Most of you know, uh, growing up or living around the Black Hills, this is a great place for the 4th of July, right? We got Mount Rushmore. The weather's pretty good around then, so a lot of people come here. Uh, my family, we go watch fireworks. We love fireworks. One of the places we go all the time is uh, Fitzgerald Stadium where Post 22 plays. Uh, that's my great uncle. That's where I grew up. That's where I coach. There's a, a sweetness to that stadium for us. And so we go and we watch the firework display. And when Brogan was maybe one, two, uh, we thought he'd love it, you know, seeing all these things take place. And so we get in there. We're in our seats as a family. The excitement's there. And the firework goes off, and all of a sudden, Brogan kind of stops and steps back. Another one goes off, and he climbs up into my lap. A couple more go off, and now it's called for the real hero. He goes over to Sherry, Mama, and he just buries his head into her and just holds on tight. There's a lot of times, from his perspective, those things were bright, those things were really loud, those things were very scary. He didn't know what they were. He'd never experienced them. And so a lot of times the storms in our life are like fireworks. They're bright, they're loud, they're very scary. Now Sherry and I have a different perspective. We knew the fireworks aren't going to hurt him. The firework, he's in no danger of those things. In fact, those things can be beautiful, right? And I believe if our life is truly hid in Jesus Christ, if, if we have put our faith in him and he has forgiven our sins, It says he has brought us into himself and he has placed his spirit into us. Meaning we are absolutely, totally, completely secure. Nothing can change that. Nothing can separate that. Not sin, not sickness, not divorce, not conflict, not even death itself. And so I really believe some of the storms in our life to God are just like fireworks. He's saying, yeah, cancer is scary. Paralysis is scary. Divorce hurts. That stuff is loud. But it's just fireworks, son. Your eternal value and your eternal worth and your eternal position with me is never at stake. Even to the point of death, it's just a firework. And God will use that and show you how good it can be. And so it's okay to be afraid in those times. And I think we're called to crawl up in our Abba's lap. But I think it's important to hear his voice whisper, I know what I'm doing. These are just fireworks. You're never truly, eternally in danger, Christian. And I think that perspective allows you to get through storms where you're not saying, don't you care? You know he does. You know he does. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light, momentary affliction, the loud, bright, crackling of fireworks, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. So whatever it is that you are going through, it can be relational, it can be physical. God says that every moment that we endure in faith, that we are getting something back. I don't know what all that looks like. But I love the momentary affliction. These things don't last forever. And it doesn't compare to eternity. One of the things that has kind of helped me get through the old acute flaccid myelitis is what it's called nowadays. 
acute flaccid myelitis, isn't that a nice name? Uh, waking up in paralysis is, you guys have been on long road trips where you kind of settle in because you know you're driving to Oregon and you've got 16 hours, 24 hours in a car. And so you just kind of settle in, right? Maybe get a bag of seeds and some music, turn on the movies for the kids. And five hours isn't that big of a deal if you know you're going 20. It's okay. Now, we get a lot more anxious and a lot more frustrated and a lot more angry if we're supposed to get to church in 20 minutes and it's taken us 40, right? And so one of the things that has helped me is this eternal perspective that I think God gifted me with is, you know what? Just settle in. This is a long car ride. Maybe we go home tomorrow. Maybe we go home in 60 years from now. But it's okay just to settle in. These things are just fireworks. What you're going through is going to be over someday. It's going to be over. Now, in the middle of it, that, that, that's not always encouraging, I know, but it's still true. Uh, one of the beauties of this story that I want to finish on is this story has tons of similar language with the story of Jonah. And so the story of Jonah, basically, uh, you remember God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he says, he runs from God, basically, and he gets on this merchant boat, And there's a great storm. And once again, these people are afraid of their life. And so all these sailors are deathly afraid, and they're saying, what's going on, what's going on? And Jonah is asleep. So it's almost like Mark writes that in there to say, oh, remember remember this story in the Old Testament? Jonah's asleep. And the people go to him, and slightly different words, they say, what are you doing? Kind of like, don't you care? And Jonah wakes up, and he realizes, oh boy, this is because of me. I disobeyed God, and now these people's lives are at stake. So he says, okay, they draw lots, they draw Jonah, and Jonah says, if you want this to stop, you're going to have to cast me into the sea. And so they make tough decisions, they try to kind of wash their hands before God, and they throw Jonah into the sea. And immediately, the sea goes calm. The wind stops. God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of the whale three days. He gets spit out. So I love the picture that this is. Not this picture, there's similarities with Jesus in Mark 4, but I think this is a foreshadowing of later on in the book of Mark. This is a foreshadowing of the cross. Where you think about what took place here. Both scenarios, Jonah and Jesus are sleeping. Don't you care? What are you doing? Storms were calmed and lives were spared. But this is the good part. Jonah had to be thrown into the sea for others to live. The storm of my sin and the internal storm of myself my selfishness, the fact that I'm a glory hound and I want everything for myself and I do life my way. That's the most tumultuous storm there is. And that's what we're all born into. And Jonah had to be thrown into the sea. But Jesus Christ threw himself down from heaven to earth. And then Jesus Christ, to calm that storm for you and for me, threw himself onto the cross. And like Jonah was three days in a whale, Jesus Christ threw himself into the grave for three days 
And we know Scripture says that He became our sin. So for lives to be spared, someone had to go into the sea. For lives to be spared, Christ went to hell itself. The difference, Jonah had to be tossed. Jonah had to be spit back out. Jesus says, I go on my own accord. Jesus put himself up there to calm this storm, to cleanse you. And as he stays in the grave, Jesus also rose himself from the grave. So the beautiful similarities are to point us to Christ. But like this started, that's where the similarities end. And this thing echoes and screams and cries, this is the Messiah. And for us to recognize, and some of us are at different places in our journey and our spiritual walk, and if you've never heard the fact that God became a man and threw himself onto earth and threw himself onto a cross and threw himself to death and threw himself into a grave and then rose himself from the dead so that we can have an eternal perspective so that we can have peace in the midst of the storm, so that we can have eternal life here and forever. That's what I want you to hear. And for the rest of us who know Jesus as our Savior, I don't think we ever go wrong looking at the cross. And I'm always so encouraged seeing every story in Scripture is pointing me to the love of God, manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for understanding and being gracious and being merciful to us that there's so many times that storms come and we get afraid. And God, I just want to encourage everybody here that that you will show up. You'll calm a storm, you'll deepen faith, but you will get us through it. And I praise you that you have calmed the storm of my heart, of my sin, that you have conquered death for our sake. And let us be a people who are forever grateful and honestly who just celebrate that even though we're in the midst of circumstantial storms, that the storm of our heart and soul can be settled forever and that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that comes from knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. So thank you for being our rescuer. Amen.